listen to this amazing story. A poor community in Paraguay has formed an amazing orchestra that plays instruments created from recycled trash. The young musicians come from the city of Cachura, a slum that's built on a landfill. More than 1,500 tons of trash gets dumped into that landfill every day. About 1,000 residents make their living by picking through the trash with long hooks called uh, ganchos. Hence, the uh, garbage pickers are called gancheros. Fabio Chavez, a young professional and musician, and Luis Sarzan, a musical conductor, have infused the landfill with warmth and dignity and beauty with music. When Chavez saw the desperate poverty and dire health conditions at the landfill, he opened a tiny musical school. At first, Chavez loaned out his complete supply of five instruments, but quickly he had too many students. So Chavez asked one of the trash pickers, Nicholas Gomez, to make some instruments from recycled materials, you know, to keep the, the younger kids occupied. Eventually, the students learned to play a small orchestra of miraculously redeemed instruments. A cello made out of an oil can and old cooking tools. A flute made from a tin can. A drum set that uses x-rays as the skins. Bottle caps that serve as keys for a saxophone. A double uh, bass constructed out of chemical cans. And a violin made from a battered aluminum salad bowl and strings tuned with forks. Chavez claims that this amazing story has taught him at least one profound lesson. People realize that we shouldn't throw away trash carelessly. Well, he said, we shouldn't throw away people either. Let's watch this little video about the story. Mi nombre es Ada Maribel Ríos Bogado, tengo 13 años y toco el violín. Me llamo Juan Manuel Chávez, más conocido como Eddie, tengo 19 años y toco el cello. Este cello está hecho de una lata de aceite, la madera tirada en la basura y las clavijas son de una vieja cuchara para golpear la carne y para hacer el ñoquis. Y suena así. Una comunidad como Cateura no es un lugar para tener un violín. De hecho, el violín, un violín cuesta más que su casa. En este grupo acá mismo encontramos un colado de violín y de ese día empezamos a comerlo reciclado. La familia que acá vive recicla todo lo que hay en la basura y se vende. 
no pensaba antes que yo voy a hacer esa chumendo y me siento demasiado feliz cuando estoy viendo a un niño que está tocando un violín reciclado. Cuando ya escucho el sonido del violín siento como mariposa en el estómago, así una sensación que no sé cómo voy a explicar. Bueno, la orquesta de instrumentos reciclados es una orquesta que toca instrumentos hechos con la basura. Y mi vida sería sin la música, estaría de core y La gente se da cuenta que no tenemos que tirar la basura muy fácilmente. No tenemos que desechar a las personas muy fácilmente. Amazing story, isn't it? Really something. It's a great story of redemption. Redemption. Children literally forgotten on the trash heap of this world, given new life and new opportunities through music. And musical instruments, redeemed after being thrown away as worthless, now making beautiful, amazing music again. Stories of redemption are powerful and they're moving, just like that video was. There's something amazing and inspiring about people that the world considers trash, gaining the self-worth and the dignity that God has given to every person. Well, today we're going to talk about the most inspiring story of redemption ever. The most amazing, incredible, real-life drama of redemption. You see, we are all children living on the landfills of our own making. Our sinful hearts, our actions pile up the trash that overflows in our lives. We might be surrounded by luxury. We might be living in comfort, but our lives are broken by loss. Our lives are full of Struggles with anxieties and fears. We fight depression. We battle temptation. We sit alone in our landfills, scared and discouraged. Listen to how Paul describes this reality in Romans chapter 7. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to law of the sin that dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We sit in our spiritually bankrupt landfills, totally unable to save ourselves. Landfills full of our own sin and its consequences. Who will risk themselves for us? Who will rescue us? Who will come and redeem our lives? Who will go in the landfill of sin and carry us out? Who will deliver us from this body of death? Verse 25 of chapter 7 so wonderfully says, Thanks be to God. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Jesus will save us. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, hope for sinners slain. Jesus will redeem us. Jesus will pay the price and purchase me out of the landfill of my life. Jesus will pay my debt. Jesus will rescue the lost and ransom the forgotten. Jesus will do it all for you and for me. He will redeem his ownership of my life. You see, the greatest blessings in all of our lives is the story of our redemption. Verse 7 in uh, chapter 1 there of Ephesians, in the passage we'll be studying, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Remember verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1? It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are blessed by God in Christ with very significant and real blessings in the heavenlies. And these amazing blessings give us strength to live our lives day in and day out. They give us stability in an upside-down world. They give us hope when when we can take our focus off the fickle earthly things. They give us endurance to persevere under trials and temptations and difficulties. Living our daily lives in the light of eternal reality will bring great blessings and help in the here and now. This week has been a real struggle for me to keep my focus on the heavenlies and the blessings. Maybe it has been for you too. I'm sure that you've had weeks where the cares of this world scream so loudly that the steady truth of God's blessings can be easily lost. The earthly concern crowds in, trying to squeeze out all the heavenly and eternal realities. This is one of the great advantages of coming to church. It's one of the great advantages of having a consistent, quiet time, devotion time with God. Because you can get a much needed attitude and vision adjustment. Well, today we meet together to get our attitude, to get our vision adjusted onto the realities of our blessings in Christ Jesus. Last week we looked at the amazing blessing that God chose us, that God chose you, that God thought about you before the very foundations of the world and he predestined you to be adopted into his family as one of his very own children. Now today we're going to look at the very work of that son, our Savior in redemption. And through redemption we will see his forgiveness, We will see his grace and we'll we'll get to know the mystery of God's will. Well, turn in your Bibles with me there to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, and we're going to be studying today verses 7 through 10. Follow along as I read. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. One of the wonderful blessings that we're going to explore today is redemption. To redeem means to recover ownership by paying a specific sum to pay off a debt, to turn in and receive something in exchange, 
to set free, to rescue, to ransom, to save, save from a state of sinfulness and its consequences. Therefore, uh, redemption is the act of redeeming. Redemption is the act of recovering ownership. It's the act of paying off someone's debt. It's the act of giving something in exchange. It's the act of setting free or rescuing. See, redemption also applies to the person who has been redeemed. Redemption is having someone reclaim ownership of you. We are redeemed when we have someone pay off our debts. We are redeemed having someone give us something in exchange for our lives and having someone set us free and rescue us. The Old Testament provides our background for understanding redemption. Listen to this amazing passage from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. It says about Israel, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, it's not because you were more in number than any of the others that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Lord redeemed Israel from slavery, not because of who they were, but because of his promise and because of his love for them. They were powerless to redeem themselves from slavery in Egypt. It was totally the miraculous work of God. See, one of the main ideas of redemption is that we cannot redeem ourselves. Someone has to do it for us. We are powerless to pay our own ransom and free ourselves. Why are we powerless? Because we're captive to sin. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. We have all sinned and we continue to sin. We are a fallen people. We are powerless because we're held captive by death. Sin produces death. Spiritual death that separates us from God and physical death that moves our souls into eternity. You know that saying as it goes, there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. Don't you often wish they would come in that order? But another reason we're powerless is because of sin, it's because of death, it's because of Satan. See, the scripture describes Satan as blinding the eyes of the people and working through disobedience and seeking whom he may devour. The reality is that sin, death, and Satan hold each human being captive. But folks, there is a Redeemer. There is a Redeemer. There is one who can break the power of our captivity and set us free. Romans 5, 6-8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were powerless, while we were bound in captivity to our sin and to death and to Satan, Christ took the initiative and died for us. 
Only Jesus can break our captivity and set us free. What is the power of Jesus to set us free? What was that cost to redeem us? Our, ver- our verse uh, tells us this. The power of Christ's redemption comes through his blood, his sacrificial death. You see, the, the blood signifies that it wasn't merely his death that redeemed us. It was the sacrificial nature of his death. The price of our redemption was the sacrificial giving of the very life of the Son of God to purchase our pardon. The price paid for our redemption from bondage to sin was costly beyond all measure. It was the very lifeblood of our Savior, Jesus Christ himself, poured out in death. God paid the ransom for our lives and the ransom price was his own Son so that we might be set free. When we call upon the Lord to save us, God buys us from the marketplace of our captivity. He buys us from the marketplace of our sin and He redeems us and He ransoms us once for all through the sacrificial death of His Son. Jesus knew this was His mission and He freely and willingly gave His life for our redemption. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as a Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen to these beautiful words from Jesus in John chapter 10. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, what a gift. What an amazing blessing and truth. What a life-altering reality. Jesus died so that we might have life, abundant life, eternal life, a redeemed life, out of the landfill of our own making. What a debt of gratitude and service we owe. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious Blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Folks, the most inspiring story of redemption that has ever been told, the most amazing, incredible, real-life drama of redemption is Jesus Christ's offer of redemption for you and me through his death, 
through the shedding of his blood, through his resurrection. The truth of Jesus' redeeming of mankind has inspired more good and more change than any other one single event in all of human history. We were bought with a price. Now we're to honor God with our life. It's the most we can do. The next blessing we receive through the redemption of the Son is forgiveness. Verse 7 goes on to say, forgiveness of our trespasses. In this passage, forgiveness means to send away, to release, to let go. And trespass is like trespassing, means to deviate from the right path. Through the redemption of Christ and the shedding of his blood for our sins, our deviation from God's way, our sent away, our release, they're let go. They're not held against us anymore. You see, forgiveness is a relationship word. To forgive someone, you have to first be hurt by them. To forgive somebody, somebody has to first do something against you. It's personal. It's upsetting. Our sin hurts our God. Our sin is upsetting and displeasing and offensive to God. God is loving, but he's also holy and pure and he will judge sin. This is not some academic mathematical procedure. This is intimate and personal and relational. Our sins grieve God. When God forgives us our sins, he is granting us forgiveness, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. And he wants to shower upon us his grace and mercy. Forgiveness restores that broken relationship that Christ's death has redeemed. Forgiveness of our sins through the redemption of Christ is costly. It's the same price as our redemption. The death, the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus. In Matthew 26, 27-28, Jesus says, While instituting the Lord's Supper... And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks to them, he said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, the Old Testament provides our background. The primary object of most of the sacrifices in the Old Testament was setting aside of sin. And still deeply into the consciousness of the people presenting those sacrifices was the fact That sin could not be taken lightly. That the forgiveness of sin required the death and the sacrifice. What does Hebrews 9.22 tell us? It says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, Christ fulfilled all of the Old Testament sacrificial system with a sacrificial shedding of his blood for our forgiveness of our sins. Spiritually speaking, in our relationship with God, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Acts 13.38 says, and, and I say it to you, it says, let it be known to you, Therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Your relationship with God can begin today because of what Jesus did for you. 
You can know the forgiveness of sins. You can know that by coming to Christ in faith and accepting what he did for you, that he died for your sins, paying that ransom price to rescue you with his own blood and his own sacrifice, freely offering to you a new life of forgiveness and grace and hope. What an amazing blessing that changes everything in our lives to have a relationship with God through the forgiveness of our sins. But the blessings in our passage don't stop there. Verse 7 continues by saying that our redemption, our forgiveness, is according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Grace. What a wonderful word. What a powerful word. One of the most beautiful words of all. Grace. God's unmerited favor. God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is described here as the riches of his grace. Grace is more valuable than we can even comprehend. It's infinitely more valuable than anything on earth. Any person who knows and has experienced God's grace through Christ Jesus has found the greatest treasure available to mankind. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. There is nothing more valuable than the riches of God's grace. Perhaps you've seen that acrostic for the word grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. We can experience all the riches of God. We can experience all the blessings of God, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies coming into our daily lives because of what Jesus did in paying that costly price of a sacrificial death. Jesus is the conduit of God's grace to us. It is because of what Jesus did that we get to experience and know the riches of God's grace. You know, God is never meager in his giving. God is not stingy or skimpy with his grace. No, God is always generous with his grace. Our passage says that he lavished the riches of his grace upon us. He lavished them. The riches of his grace are heaped upon us. They cover us. They shower us. God's grace is this amazing gift and blessing that he lavished upon us. Six times in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses this word riches. To describe God. In our passage today, it talks about the riches of his grace. In 118, it is the riches of his inheritance. In 2.4, it's the riches of God's mercy. In 2.7, it's the riches of God's grace. In 3.8, it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. In 3.16, it's the riches of his glory. So folks, I think we need to take our eyes off of our earthly bank accounts. And put our eyes on our spiritual, heavenly account. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you are rich beyond all comparison. God has lavished upon you the riches of his grace. God has lavished upon you the riches of his eternal inheritance. God has lavished upon you, heaped upon you his mercy, his glory, and the unsearchable riches of knowing Christ. We are truly amazingly blessed. We are truly rich in the things that count the most in this life. What incredible blessings we have in Christ. Well, not only that, it continues on. Our passage says that the riches of God's grace was lavished upon us 
and all wisdom and insight and understanding. See, Christianity is not a blind faith. Christianity is not a leap in the dark, a hope that in something that's unreasonable. No, our faith is based on wisdom and knowledge and insight. We never have to be afraid of questioning God. Because God is wiser than all of our questions. He is smarter than all of our problems. God can handle any question. I read an article recently about an adult who's left the evangelical faith. His father was a Baptist pastor, and he grew up in a strong believing home. He talked about the first time that he started to doubt the truth of the Bible. He had some questions about the Christmas story in the Bible, and he asked his dad about it. And his dad's simple answer set him on a course away from the faith. This is what the author said in the article, talking about his dad. He said his dad was a gentle but cautious fellow. My father with a rock-solid faith. He said, it's probably better not to ask difficult questions, he said. God will in time provide the answers, but not now, not in this life. He told me simply to enjoy Christmas. That didn't satisfy me, he said. Why shouldn't it? Well, obviously, there are some questions that are hard to answer. There are some questions that truly the only answer is that God knows. But folks, there are many, many, many questions in our faith that there are answers for. And we need to embrace the questions. It's always good to ask difficult questions. We do not need to fear hard questions because our God is the real God. He's the one and only true God. And we don't need to know the answer to every question. But instead of saying, don't ask the question, we can say things like this. Go for it. Research and find the answer. Our God is God and no question is too big or too hard for him. Seek God and he'll provide the answer. And folks, we know. We know by our experience in life that it's actually often the journey to finding the answer that is just as important as the answer itself. See, God can handle the truth. God can handle our questions. God is full of wisdom and insight and knowledge. And by his grace, he gives us wisdom and insight and knowledge. Questions are okay because we serve a big God. What a blessing to have a God that wants us to know him in wisdom and insight and understanding and knowledge. What a blessing it is to have a God who gives us, through his grace, such wisdom and insight and knowledge. Verse 9 says that God's wisdom and insight gives us amazing benefit of making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ. Mystery, you know, is a word that can be used in several ways. Here are two ways it can be used. Mystery can be mysterious, secretive, or hard to understand. Or it can mean a truth that has been somewhat unclear, but has now been fully revealed. And it's in this latter way that the New Testament uses the word mystery. You see, in the fullness of time, Jesus came to reveal the mystery of God's eternal plan. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus makes the Father known to us. 
We know the mystery of God's will. Paul writes it in, in this passage actually in a past tense. The mystery is no more. The mystery is known. The mystery is solved because we know God's plan and purposes which he set forth in Christ Jesus. By knowing Christ, we have come to know the completed revelation of God. There is nothing higher or greater to know than who Christ is, what Christ has done for us, and then live our lives as a reflection of that truth. We do not stand in ignorance. We do not suffer from lack of knowledge. We do not go around wondering, if only I knew what God wanted. If only I knew how to have a relationship with the one true God. If only I could understand why I exist and what is my purpose in life. We don't wonder about these things. We are not lost in a dark room at a loss of what to do in our lives. Folks, we have been so amazingly blessed because we know. We know the mystery of God's will. We know the truth of life. We know the most important fundamental reality of all of life. We know Jesus. We have a God that has revealed himself powerfully and truthfully and inerrantly in a word that we can have in our hands and study and know and wisdom and insight. We are blessed. We are amazingly blessed. Today, we have seen from God's word that if you're a follower of Christ, you've been blessed with the redemption of Christ through his blood. You've been blessed with forgiveness of your sins through Christ by his blood. You've been blessed with the riches of God's grace that he lavished and heaped upon you. You've been blessed with wisdom and insight that flows from God's grace. You've been blessed to know the mystery of God's will. Jesus Christ. What amazing blessings. Blessings that are real and make a real significant difference in our daily lives. But here's the question for us today. Are you living in that landfill still? On the trash heap of your sin and its consequences? Christian, have you allowed the troubles and cares and temptations of this world to drag you from the blessings of God and back into the trash dump of this world? Folks, there is a Redeemer. Folks, there is a Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He will rescue you. He will ransom us. He will pay our debt. Go to him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how amazing and powerful and real it is. And how it can be used by your spirit to challenge us and to teach us to comfort us, to give us insight and wisdom. Spirit, we pray today, right now, in this moment, that you would be doing that work that you do of conviction and of, uh, of changing our hearts and teaching us things. Lord, that this uh, message today would be powerful and real and significant and it would, it would do something to us because it's the Word of God. Father, we come before you today knowing that we have been in the landfills and maybe some are still in the landfill of their lives. Lord, but there is a Redeemer. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to take a few moments here this morning, right now.
as the instruments are playing. And I want to give you a second to apply our message to you. Just jot down an action point if you'd like in your, on the notes. Uh, jot down something you've learned today that you want to remember. Something you want to apply to your life. Something that the Spirit was talking to you while we were praying. Maybe even just a moment of prayer uh, as in this moment here. Whatever God is doing, whatever the Spirit is telling you to do, whatever, however God is taking His Word into your life and into your heart, take a moment right now and apply it to your heart.